My name is Jason Phipps. For those who don't know me, um, I'm a member here at the gathering. Um, I'm a first service person, so nice to meet you all second service people. Um, but anyway, I'm delighted to be here today and so thankful for an opportunity to share the word. And um, so anyway, we'll just uh, we'll go ahead and get started here. Um, first, just a quick recap of last week. Pastor Paul got the series uh, started off um, by introducing us to the book of Jude. So if you want to go ahead and start turning there, you can have that ready. Um, just go to the very end of the Bible in Revelation and hang a left, one book, and you'll be in Jude. It's one chapter. It's really short. Um, so uh, Jude talks about a wake-up call, essentially, to the church to contend for the faith. And as Pastor Paul noted last week, it's a faith worth fighting for. He then showed us how in verses 1 through 4, uh, Jude gives us the who, where, what, why, and when. So that kind of set us up last week and got us started off um, to contend for the faith. Before I get started and, and read the passage today in verses 5 through 19, which is where I'll be, I want to tell you a true story about a man named Jim Jones. Jim Jones was an only child born in 1931 in a small town in Indiana. His father was a disabled World War I veteran and his mother was a factory worker and waitress. Jones was socially awkward and had a tough home life, but he was smart and had aspirations of becoming a doctor. While working nights at a hospital during high school, he met a nurse named Marceline who would become his wife. You can see the picture showed up there. Such a great, I just love that picture. It's like from a movie or something. Passionate about the plight of blacks and the poor, Jones saw the ministry as a place better suited to promote social change, and so he decided to go into the ministry. By the late 50s, Jones was pastoring his own church plant called the People's Temple and affiliated with a middle-of-the-road denomination called the Disciples of Christ. Over the next 10 years, Jones and his church were in the mainstream of clerical and civic life, doing a great deal of good for the poor in their community. He fought racism, built nursing homes, clothed the needy, rehabilitated drug addicts and prostitutes, and was an early opponent of the Vietnam War. Personally, Jones even adopted six children of various races uh, between him and his wife. Over time, he became a highly effective preacher. According to one denominational official at the time, quote, his style was a little like Billy Graham. He would say, the Bible says, dot, 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 and this is the way, dot, dot, dot. It had great appeal with both unsophisticated and sophisticated people. In 1965, Jim announced to his congregation a thermonuclear war would take place on June 15, 1967, and therefore they needed to move to a safe haven in Northern California. Seventy families would follow him there. Seventy families, not 70 people. Seventy families would follow him there. Though the war never came, by the mid-70s, Jim had built a following across California estimated at 20,000. But Jim began to change, or some might say he began to show. He became more radical in his teaching and paranoid that everyone was conspiring against him. In 1977, Jim convinced almost a thousand of his followers to relocate with him to the jungle in Guiana, South America, to establish a utopia called Jonestown. One year later, Jim would lead over 900 followers to drink cyanide-laced Kool-Aid in a mass suicide known as the Jonestown Massacre and where the saying, don't drink the Kool-Aid, comes from. Jim Jones was a false teacher who led his people far astray. And that's the focus of our passage in Jude today, contending with false teachers. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time together. And Lord, we thank you for the truth that is in your word that anchors us, God, in the midst of an enemy that is a father of lies. And Father, I pray that today, Lord, that you would reveal your word to us, Lord, in truth, Lord, and in your spirit, 
Father, that you would speak to the deepest needs of our heart, Lord, that you would, Lord, rescue us, if need be, from whatever we might be confused in. And Father, I pray that we would all be able to hear you clearly, Lord, that we would have eyes to see, that we have ears open to hear, Lord, that you would minister us through your Holy Spirit as we need it. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's read Jude 5 through 19 together. Now I want to remind you, though you know all these things, the Lord, having first of all saved a people out of Egypt, later destroyed those who did not believe. And he has kept with eternal chains in darkness for the judgment of the great day angels who did not keep their own position but deserted their proper dwelling. In the same way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them committed sexual immorality and practiced perversions just as they did and serve as an example by undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. Nevertheless, these dreamers likewise defile their flesh, despise authority, and blaspheme glorious beings. Yet Michael the archangel, when he was disputing with the devil in a debate about Moses' body, did not dare bring an abusive condemnation against him, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme anything they don't understand, and what they know by instinct, like unreasoning animals, they destroy themselves with these things. Woe to them, for they have traveled in the way of Cain, have abandoned themselves to the error of Balaam for profit, and have perished in Korah's rebellion. These are the ones who are like dangerous reefs at your love feast. They feast with you, nurturing only themselves without fear. They are waterless clouds carried along by winds, trees in late autumn, fruitless, twice dead, pulled out by the roots, wild waves of the sea foaming up their shameful deeds, wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. And Enoch in the seventh generation from Adam prophesied about them, Look, the Lord comes with thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict them of all their ungodly deeds that they have done in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things ungodly sinners have said against him. These people are discontented grumblers, walking according to their desires. Their mouths utter arrogant words, flattering people for their own advantage. But you, dear friends, remember the words foretold by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They told you in the end time there will be scoffers walking according to their own ungodly desires. These people create divisions and are merely natural not having the Spirit. Um, one of the things you'll notice um, in studying this passage in Jude is that there is a very strong parallel with the book of Jude and 2 Peter chapter 2. In fact, 80% of the verses in Jude 4 through 19 are paralleled in 2 Peter chapter 2. And so you'll hear me make reference to that a couple of times along the way. When biblical scholars look at this, there's a couple of things that you can consider. One is either Jude is copying Peter or Peter's copying Jude, or they're both copying somebody else, right? So the fact that they've aligned on this could mean one of those three things. Scholars most likely believe, or most scholars seem to believe, that Peter copied Jude because Peter seems like his version seems to be more elaborated on. So he kind of takes a lot of what Jude has done, and he's elaborated on it. We don't truly know, but the point is both are in Scripture. They're parallels to each other, and it's a good example of how we can use Scripture to help interpret Scripture. Um, my goal here today is to answer three questions for you related to false teachers. Number one, what is a false teacher? Number two, how do we identify false teachers? And number three, how should we respond to false teachers? So first, what is a false teacher? Well, the definition that I've put for you to get today and what I believe is, is exemplified here in Jude is this, an unbeliever who distorts the gospel in word or action for selfish gain. 
an unbeliever who distorts the gospel in word or action for selfish gain. First, they are an unbeliever. As Pastor Paul mentioned last week, at the tail end of verse 4, Jude says they deny Christ. They deny Jesus Christ, our only Master and Lord. And obviously you can't be a believer if you deny Christ. In verse 19, towards the end, it says uh, they are unbelievers not having the Spirit. Right? And we know that believers have the Spirit of God within them. In verses 5 through 7, Jude starts off by saying, Now I want to remind you about these things. And he goes off to list some examples of how God has, has executed judgment on unbelievers. And the fact that he says, I want to remind you, tells us, it gives us a clue that the church that Jude is talking to, they know these things. They are educated in the faith. These aren't brand new believers or just getting started. They're aware of the things that Jude is talking about. And so he's bringing these things back to their remembrance. He's saying, look at how God has judged unbelievers in the past. He gives us an example where the Israelites had perished in the wilderness because they would not go into Canaan because they were afraid. He gives us the example of the fallen angels with the enemy who have fallen in and been doomed to darkness. And we can see sort of a uh, 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 I guess an example of that or, or a, a little bit of an explanation, sort of a prophetic explanation in uh, Revelation chapter 12, 4, where it talks about the devil being swept into uh, hell with a third of the stars, and the stars, people believe, relate to angels. And then thirdly, he gives us the reference of Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, where the cities were destroyed, which would have included both uh, men and angels. And so you see that God's judgment has been pronounced on both people, his creation uh, on earth, and then also the angels themselves who are unbelievers or who have rebelled against his authority. Bringing this back to Jim Jones, according to Jones's wife in an interview in 1977, quote, Jim used religion to try to get people to come out of the opiate of religion. She said, adding that he once slammed a Bible on a table and said, quote, I've got to destroy this paper idol. And so Jim was clearly an unbeliever and so are false teachers. Second, they distort the gospel in word or action. And it's critical that I put the emphasis here on the gospel. In verses 8 through 10, we see that in spite of this reminder that Jude has provided, these false teachers reject God's authority. They reject authority and they speak evil of things that they don't understand. There's a reference here to Michael, uh, the archangel, and his dispute with the devil over the body of Moses. And if you're reading that and you're going, I don't remember that story in Sunday school, it's because you didn't hear it. It's not in the Bible. It's only here, and, and Jude is making a reference to what is referred to as a, a, a book of the pseudepigrapha. And pseudepigrapha is just a long word that basically just means that it was uh, the authorship of a book that was credited to someone who did not write it. So the book that is in reference here is the Assumption of Moses. And this, this writing that was found in, in, in sort of the early church time period was supposed to be prophecies that Joshua or that Moses had passed down to Joshua. However, we only can find one copy of it. And the copy is broken, it's not complete, and it wasn't found until four to 500 AD, which is hundreds and hundreds of years after the apostles. And so therefore, it cannot be validated, and so it's not considered scripture. That's why the Assumption of Moses is not a book in the Bible. So then you might think, well, then why is Jude referencing it? And what do we do with that? Well, there's a couple of things that biblical scholars would say. One is, is that a biblical writer, which this is not the only example. There are other examples within Scripture where the writers reference pseudepigraphal or non-canonical or, or non-biblical books. And one is they make a reference to a piece. There could be a piece of that book, in this case, the story about Michael the archangel and his wrestling with the devil, 
that could be a true story, and therefore they reference that true story. But it doesn't mean because that story was true that everything else in the assumption of Moses was true. So that could be one reason. The other reason that people think that could have been referenced is just an example. Here Jude is referencing this as an example of even the archangel Michael, who would have been a very prominent and important figure, did not take it upon himself to condemn and rebuke the devil or curse the devil himself, but he said, the Lord rebuke you. And so he's trying to show that what, what a godly person does versus an ungodly person. An ungodly person blasphemes or speaks evil of those things that they do not understand. And so I just give you that just as sort of a nugget from a, a Bible study perspective. If you come across these other books, you may have heard of the Da Vinci Code. How many of you heard of the book, Da Vinci Code, the movie? Right, so those references in there to things like the Gospel of Thomas and other things like that. There were other writers that wrote their own Gospels, and the Gospel of Thomas was not written by Thomas. That's why it's not in the Bible. And so these books have been vetted out by the early church fathers, and that's how we came to the canon, and we could do a whole series on that. But I just wanted you to have some background as to, as to what we're referring to with some of these things. Um, moving on, so in distorting the gospel in word or action, 2 Peter 2, 1 says, But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly bring in destructive heresies, and a heresy is just an opinion that varies from the true Christian faith. They will bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, and will bring swift destruction on themselves. So again, as I mentioned before, Peter in his version of this is just elaborating on what Jude is trying to say and being clear about the fact that these people are distorting the gospel. And I point out the gospel specifically because if we were to call a false teacher someone who just got it wrong, then we'd all, any one, of, any one of us who has ever taught the Bible before could be labeled as a false teacher because I'm going to go ahead and tell you, if you've taught the Bible for any period of time, you've gotten it wrong at some point. Right? None of us has a corner on 100% true. But the gospel is something that is clear in the word and that we can know for sure. And so an unbeliever who distorts the gospel and they can distort it either in word or action. And we see that in verse 11, Jude gives us three more examples. And he says, let's look, he says, these false teachers, they've gone the way of Cain. And what did Cain do? Cain murdered his brother Abel out of jealousy. He was jealous of his brother. Balaam was a prophet uh, of, of Israel in the Old Testament who sold out Israel for money, for greed. And then we see um, also, Jude gives in this example, he says they have perished in Korah's rebellion. And Korah was someone who was out in the wilderness with the, with the people of God who rebelled against Moses' authority and, and brought an uprising against him, which the Lord quickly put down. But the point is, is that he thought he would be better in charge than Moses. He wanted to usurp. He was rejecting the authority that God had established, which was Moses. And so we see that whether it's through their actions or whether it's through their words, they are rejecting the authority that God has established and his gospel. According to Jonestown survivor Terry O'Shea, and I'll reference her a couple times because her testimony is compelling, she says, quote, There's a passage in the Bible where Jesus tells people to leave their families and follow him. Jim quoted that quite a lot. And see, that's what false teachers do. They take the word that you do trust, and then they twist it into something that can lead you astray. They're going to use things. They're manipulators. They know what you want to hear, and they're going to use that against you, or they use that against you. So they one that distorts the gospel. They distort it in word or in action. Next, they are out for selfish gain. In verses 12 through 13, uh, Jude writes that they are nurturing only themselves. 
And he, then he, he gives us these very clear poetic metaphors of what that looks like. What does it look like for someone to be as selfish as these false teachers? He says, they are dangerous reefs at a love feast. Well, what is a reef? A reef is a rock formation below the surface of the water. So they're there amongst you, but you don't see them. And you step on a reef with bare feet, and you're going to get cut, right? You're going to get hurt. There's something, or if you're, you're on a boat, you run your boat ashore, that type of thing. And so they're dangerous. It's a dangerous reef. The love feast that he's referring to, this was something they did during these days uh, when they would have communion with one another. They would often make it sort of a larger gathering, a feast-type gathering. And so he's basically saying they're amongst you in your gatherings, but they're below the surface, right? They're not wearing a sign that says false teacher over here, right? And that's what we think, though. We think, and many of you may be thinking right now, even from the beginning of this, oh, we're talking about false teachers today? Okay, well, that doesn't apply to me because... I can see a false teacher coming from a mile away. And yet here Jude is talking to us about it, right? And false teachers are mentioned throughout almost in every book of the New Testament. And that's purposeful for a reason. So they're dangerous reefs. They're waterless clouds. You know, think about the clouds that come over that are full of rain that are, are there to bring relief. And think about the climate that these folks are in. They're in the Middle East. So rain and the relief of rain is a blessing, and yet they are waterless clouds they come and they give you the illusion of relief but they bring no relief they are trees in late autumn he says right and what are what are happening to trees in late autumn they're they're dropping their leaves right it's it's a symbol of death he says they are twice dead fruitless twice dead meaning you think well how do you die twice well we are born into sin, right? We are born, we are dead from the beginning, and God brings us right through salvation to life. Well, they are twice dead, meaning they have heard, they have heard the word of life after being dead and have rejected that word and rejected God's authority. So they have died again. They are twice dead. That's what he means by that. And he even says explicitly, they are fruitless. They are wild waves of the sea foaming up. Their shameful deeds. They are washing garbage up onto the shore and then trailing back out to the sea. They are wandering stars that only live in darkness. Right? Think about the stars in the sky, just sort of isolated and scattered about there in the darkness of the night. These are very powerful images that Jude gives us to paint a very clear picture of what a false teacher looks like. Joan's wife said in the same interview mentioned earlier, her husband had not been lured to the ministry by deep religious faith, but, but because it served his goal of achieving social change. He had an agenda, and he saw religion, and he saw how people followed it blindly, and he saw charismatic speakers and what they were able to do, and he saw that as a tool he could use to get what he wanted. That's what false teachers do. They are unbelievers who distort the gospel in word or action for selfish gain. Next, how do you identify a false teacher? Well, first of all, you have to know the truth. If you're going to identify what is not true, you have to know what is true. In John 8, 31-32, Jesus, says, so Jesus, or, so Jesus said to the disciples who had believed him, If you continue in my word, if you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. How do we know the word? We continue in his word right we continue in his word if you continue in my word that's how you know the truth so we know we have to get into the word to know the truth well what is the truth especially when it comes to the gospel do we know what the truth is well the early church the way they dealt with this was they used scripture they used the apostles teachings to establish creeds 
And for those of you who may not be familiar with a creed, a creed is essentially a statement of faith. It is, hey, let's, let's take all of this great stuff that we have, and, and by the way, they didn't have you know, it all nice and packaged up and assembled like we do, but they had these teachings, and they knew the apostles' teachings, and maybe a lot of it was probably spread by word of mouth, but they, they pulled those things together, and they anchored to what are the core aspects of the gospel, right? Not all the secondary things, right, that don't really, you know, like what kind of carpet should we have? And all, like, that wasn't their issue, right? The issue was, what is the gospel? What does it mean to be a follower of Christ? And if you grew up in a mainline denominational Protestant church, you might have said a creed. You might have read creeds or, or repeated them. I grew up in the Methodist church, and every Sunday from the time I was very little till when I got older and ultimately moved on to other, other denominations, we would say the Apostles' Creed every week. Anybody know the Apostles' Creed? The Apostles' Creed is a packaged version of the gospel. And if you know it, you can say it with me, and it goes like this. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. That's powerful. That's a powerful tool that, that can act like a shield in your life to, one, remind you of what the truth is, and, two, to protect you from the lies. And so creeds are something we don't use much anymore, but it just shows how something that, you know, very old and very from long ago, but can be so powerful for us today. So we must know the truth. Second is we must check the teacher. We can't afford to take man's, woman's, people's word for it, right? No offense to anybody. And I'm not offended. If you go home and check, I would encourage you to check what I've said. Don't believe me. Believe this book because we are flawed. But Acts 17, 10 through 11 gives us a great example of this. The Bereans, it says, As, as soon as it was night, the brothers sent Paul and Silas off to Berea. On arrival, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. The people here were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica since they welcomed the message with eagerness and examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So, I mean, they weren't haters. They just wanted to know that what they were hearing from these guys was true. And so they checked the teacher. 1 John 4, 1-2 says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits or the people that are bringing you the word. Test the spirits to determine if they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you know the Spirit of God. This is the Bible saying this. This is how you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit who confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And you might think, well, just because we confess that Jesus came to earth and was a man, like, what does that mean? Like, I don't know that that sounds like... What he's saying here is, every spirit who confesses that Jesus Christ... Right? Christ is not his last name, as we know, right? Jesus the Christ, or Jesus the Messiah. Everyone who confesses that Jesus is the Messiah and that he has come in the flesh is from God, meaning that you're confessing that the Son of God has become a man in flesh, and they know that, that from that story that he died and then he was raised to life again. So the essence of what gives us our salvation that sets us free from sin and death, someone who confesses that, is those are the people that you can trust. Those are, the, those are the people. That is the spirit that you know that is from God. 1 Thessalonians 5.21. Here's how Paul puts it. 
And this will make it nice and simple for everybody. Paul says, test everything, hold on to what's good. Test what? Everything. Hold on to what's good. Check the teacher. Next, look at their fruit. Matthew 7, 15 through 20. Jesus says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? And if you're wondering the answer to that, the answer is no. Uh, in the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, so you'll recognize them by their what? Their fruit. The evidence in their life. What is coming from these people? What is the fruit of their life? Are they good things or are they bad things? In verse 16, Jude says, These people, these false teachers, are discontented grumblers, walking according to their desires. Their mouths utter arrogant words, flattering people for their own advantage. And usually, after, usually what these false teachers are after are one of three things. Power, sex, or money. Power, we see in verse 8, Jude tells us that they reject authority. He gives us the example of Korah's rebellion, right? That they have perished in Korah's rebellion. They want to overthrow the authority. They're, look, they're looking for power. Jim Jones saw the opportunity to seize power in the church, and that's what led him there. They're after sex. Verse 8 says they defile their flesh. Second Peter, he elaborates on this. In verse 14, he says, They have eyes full of adultery and are always looking for sin. They seduce unstable people and have hearts trained in greed. In verse 18, he goes on to say, For by uttering boastful, empty words, they seduce with fleshly desires and debauchery people who have barely escaped from those who live in error. They're after that, they, they, they fall into the, the depravity of the fallenness, of the defiling the flesh. And then third, money. Verse 11, and the same in 2 Peter 2.15, they both make reference to Balaam and how Balaam abandoned themselves to, or these false teachers have abandoned themselves to the error of Balaam for profit. So uh, Balaam was basically essentially sold out the people of Israel. He told Israel's enemies how they could trick Israel into falling away so that they would then get punished by God. And so he did that for silver or for, for money, essentially. Right? So he did it out of, out of selfish gain. And there's several passages um, throughout the Bible where Balaam has, is referenced over and over again. And every time Balaam's referenced, it's not in a good light. Right? It's always in a, it's used as a bad example. Um, and so Jim Jones was primarily after this power. He fell, after, fell into the couple other two as well. And I won't go into details about that, but he was also a drug addict, he was a manipulator, and he was a fearmonger, just among a few of the things that ultimately came to light over time. There are a few types of false teachers I thought would help uh, to illustrate this a little bit further. Um, I read an article in the Gospel Coalition, and uh, one, of the, one of the authors there that I thought did a really good job of just giving us different types, and so I just pulled a few of those out that I thought would be helpful to illustrate. One is there is the heretic. And this is a type of false teacher that is essentially perverting the gospel, as we mentioned before. They're the type of person that might say things like, there's many ways to God, right? We're all going to heaven. There is no hell, right? All roads lead uh, to God, whomever God is, right? 
Um, so there's the, the, the direct sort of just uh, manipulation and, and, uh, and perversion of the gospel. Then there's the prophet. The prophet is the type of person that has this vision, right? Maybe they have a vision of Jesus, and, or maybe, maybe an angel came to them and told them to write stuff down that now they, they say should be added to the Bible, right? It's those type of things. I'm not just saying, I'm not just talking about general prophecy in general, right? Because we know that, that prophecy is a spiritual gift and it's mentioned in the Bible, etc. But I'm talking about things that are far afield of that, right? Jim Jones had a prophecy that the world, that, that a thermonuclear war was going to happen two years hence. Right, that's the kind of stuff I'm talking about. These types of folks are the folks that are painting some kind of vision that is either playing on your fears or your insecurity or your desire for assurance or hope or whatever it is. There's the tickler. It's the person who is going to tell you whatever you want to hear. Right? They're going to tell you you can have it all. They're going to tell you you can do what you want to do. Right? They're going to they're tickle your ears with the things that you want. And then finally there's the predator. There's the person who's going to they're going to find out what it is that you need, and they're going to prey on you, and they're going to be the ones that are going to tell you that they're the only ones that really care. They're the only ones that can make things better for you. They'll be the ones to look after you, only to ultimately deceive you later. All of these people are preying on our deepest needs for peace, assurance, hope, and security. The survivor, O'Shea, that I mentioned before, she said, quote, if you wanted religion... Jim Jones could give it to you. If you wanted socialism, he could give it to you. If you were looking for a father figure, he'd be your father. He always honed in on what you needed and managed to bring you in emotionally. So this man was a powerful manipulator. And, and there, uh, there are a lot, well, I don't know how many people there are, but there are people who are charismatic, right? There are people that we like to listen to that that sound really good when they talk, and we want to listen to them, we want to follow them, and it's dangerous enough when someone has that type of charisma and doesn't realize how powerful it is, but it's especially dangerous when someone has that gift and they know how powerful it is. And that's what often these false teachers are like. They know that they have something powerful that they can use to manipulate people. So that's how we identify a false teacher. So how should we respond to false teachers? Well, number one, we should be alert, right? And that's what we said from the very beginning. That's how Pastor Paul started last week. That's what Jude is writing for. Jude originally says, you know, I was about to tell you all about the gospel again. Just celebrate how wonderful the gospel is. But I just really needed to send this message. And so it's it, critical that we be alert. In verses 14 through 15, he says, uh, And Enoch, in the seventh generation from Adam, prophesied about them, talking about false teachers, Look, the Lord comes with thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict them of all their ungodly deeds that they have done in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things ungodly sinners have said against him. So here from the past, Judah's saying from long ago, there were these prophecies. And Enoch is another good example of one of these pseudepigraphal books where it's, 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 made, a, it's made a reference from the book of Enoch. Um, and people, and again, Enoch didn't write it, but people believe that this, this prophecy that he was referring to or that was referred to in that book was true, and that's why they believe it was incorporated into the book of Jude. But the bottom line is, is that the point that uh, Jude is trying to make is that from long ago, we've been told that false teachers would be among us. And then he brings that forward into what was their current day in verses 17 and 18. He says, but you, dear friends... Remember the words foretold by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, which wasn't long at this point because this would have been late in the first century. So the apostles 
um, mostly were dead at this point. Maybe John was maybe the only one still around, perhaps. They don't know exactly when the book of Jude was written. They just know it was late first century. But the point being, he's writing the current day, and he says, for, this was foretold by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They told you in the end time there will be scoffers walking according to their own uh, ungodly desires. And essentially the end times has been from the point that Jesus came going forward until he returns, right? This is all the end times. And so they told us that false teachers were going to be among us, both deep in the past and then currently to the present, and obviously this still applies to us today. And what's even more important for us to think about is that false teachers have more access to us today than they've ever had. Right? Technology is much of a, of a blessing as it is to us, right? And it gives us such a great platform to spread the gospel, also gives the enemy a great platform to spread lies. And you probably heard, it, especially in light of some of the recent uh, tragedies in the country with the shootings and whatnot, there are message boards out there where false teachers like these people are manipulating people who are, who are deeply troubled and who are desperate and playing on those fears and encouraging them to do some of these horrible things that we see going on. And so there's great power in this ability, this mass ability to communicate. And so that what that means for us is, not to say that we're out there on these message boards, but what it does mean is that we have access to any teacher who has a podcast. We have access to YouTube where anybody can put a video up and start talking to people. We have access to any social media platform where we can go and we can hear from anybody anywhere in the world about anything. And so we have to be careful about that. We have to guard ourselves. We have to be alert at what we are hearing and being taught. Do you know what you are learning? Do you know what your children are learning? Those are things that we have to be alert and on guard for. The enemy is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. The devil is the father of what? Lies. The father of lies. And so we must be alert. Next, we contend, we contend by confronting false teachers with grace and truth. We confront them with grace and truth. Titus 3, 10 through 11 says, Reject a divisive person after a first and second warning, knowing that such a person is perverted and sins, being self-condemned. 2 John 1, 10 through 11 says, If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, talking about the gospel, do not receive him into your home and don't say welcome to him, for the one who says welcome to him shares in his evil works. You don't have to be polite to a false teacher. You don't have to let someone preach to you just because you don't want to be rude to them. That doesn't mean we have to be hateful, but we absolutely have every right and should refuse and call that out for what it is. If you turn, to me, uh, turn with me to Matthew 23, uh, Jesus, I think it's, it's always good when we can see Jesus put these things into action uh, since he obviously is the one whom we follow. Jesus in Matthew 23 has a very, very, very harsh word for the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, as you, as you most likely know, were the teachers of the day. Uh, they were the ones that were entrusted to, to lead um, the Jewish people correctly. And uh, unfortunately, were very flawed in that. But I'll, I'll read a couple of passages here from, from uh, chapter 23. Verses 1 through 4. Then Jesus spoke to the crowds and his disciples the scribes and the Pharisees are seated in the chair of Moses. I mean, they've been given this place of authority and teaching. Therefore, do whatever they tell you and observe it, but don't do what they do because they don't practice what they teach. 
They tie up heavy loads that are hard to carry and put them on people's shoulders, but they themselves aren't willing to lift a finger to move them. So they were saying the right things, but their actions, right? Remember when I said before, distorting the gospel through word or action, their actions were distorting the truth. In verse 15, Jesus starts to turn up the heat here with this series of woe statements. Woe to you, Pharisees. And he makes a statement. Woe to you, and he makes another statement. In verse 15, as an example, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to make one proselyte or one follower. So you go to great distances to make a follower. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as fit for hell as you are. That's hardcore. And then he goes into verses 27 through 28, and he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which appear beautiful on the outside, but inside are full of dead men's bones and every impurity. In the same way, on the outside you seem righteous to people, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. That is the essence of what a false teacher looks like. They look good on the outside, but on the inside they are dead. They are fruitless and lawless. And so, uh, and then finally in verse 33, he says, sort of to bring this to a head, he says, you snakes, you brood of vipers, how can you escape being condemned to hell? I mean, that's a harsh word for these guys. And I wrestle with that a little bit because I thought, you know, Jesus, I mean, we, you know, we'd want to do what Jesus does, right? And so I'm trying to reconcile this thought of, of confronting you know, false teachers with grace and with truth, which, you know, is, it means that we can, we can be direct. We can speak the truth in love to people, but that doesn't mean we have to, you know, call people names and beat people down and all that kind of stuff, right? There's a way to do it that is direct and clear. And yet here we see Jesus with a very harsh word. And, and I'll just give you my editorial opinion on that. This is my opinion, is that I believe that in an example like this, Jesus, number one, is perfect. Right? Jesus is the Son of God who has no flaw in him. And Jesus, this is as, as clear of an example as I can give anyone of what righteous anger looks like. Jesus sees his people being deceived by the very people that have been entrusted to teach them. And he is livid. And he's expressing that anger in very clear and in no uncertain terms. Now, I think for us, being not perfect right, can be as clear, but show more grace. Not that Jesus doesn't show grace, we all know that, but you, you get the point that I'm making here, right, that, that false teaching is a very delicate subject, and you have to be very careful about who you accuse of something like this. It's a very serious charge, and Jesus shows you how serious this charge is. Yet at the same time, Jesus clearly spoke up. Jesus clearly spoke the truth and was not going to allow that to continue. And we, as well as the body of Christ, owe it to each other to call out lies when we see them, with grace, with truth, in love. Um, the more people began to criticize Jim Jones in the media and elsewhere, the more his true color showed and the more he fled. You'll notice from the story, he started in Indiana, and he gained a following. And then this prophecy came up about a thermonuclear war, and they fled to California, northern rural area of California. And then he gained some followers. And then he fled again to Guiana, South America, in some camp in the middle of the jungle. 
right? So as people became more aware, as his fruit began to show, people began to call him out, thankfully, and he began to fled. And more and more people began to see what was going on. And by the time he was in the end, he was not with the masses that he had acquired in California, but with 900, 1,000 people, which is still amazing given everything that was going on and shows you the power of false teaching, but at the same time also shows you the importance of why we need to speak up. Avoid the next thing, so contend by confronting them with grace and truth, and then finally avoid their teaching. Romans 16, 17 through 18 says, Now I urge you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause dissensions and obstacles contrary to the doctrine you have learned. Avoid them. For such people do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. They deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting with smooth talk and flattering words. I mean, that's as clear as it gets. Right? That's what false, teacher, false teachers do. Fannie Mobley was a People's Temple Church member from 1972 to 1976. And noticing Jones's increasing paranoia and inappropriate sermon topics and messages, Ms. Mobley uh, said that she left because, quote, he changed. He turned from a beautiful Christian man to a Jekyll and Hyde monster. And it just shows you that over time, these, these false teachers will show their colors. Their fruit will be bore out. And we have to look for that. We have to be on the guard for that. Because again, you've got to remember, this whole time, it's manipulation. It's mind control. It's all kinds of stuff that they do. Whether they understand the psychology of all these things or not doesn't really matter. The effect is the same, and we have to be on guard for that. So today's big idea, the big idea today is this. Don't believe you can't be deceived. And I cannot stress that enough. Going back to something I mentioned earlier, one of the things that I worry most about in a message like this is that there are some of us that are likely to tune out because we think we can never be deceived. Oh, I'll see a false teacher coming a mile away. They won't get me. And before you are sure about that, I want you to think about one thing. I want you to think about this. And again, I'm not asking anybody to raise their hands, but have you ever been desperate before? Because if you've ever been truly desperate, then you know how vulnerable you can be. And I don't care how smart you think you are. I don't care what kind of education you've had. I don't care who you've studied under. When you are desperate and you are looking for somebody who's got the answer, you can be led astray. That's when you're most vulnerable. The enemy, in fact, I would argue, wants you to believe that you can't be deceived. Because we all know from Proverbs that pride comes before the fall. Pride comes before the fall. The minute you think you can't be deceived, that's when you're going to be deceived. Don't believe you can't be deceived. Why is Jude warning us? Why is false teaching addressed in almost every New Testament book? He's talking to an educated group of believers who know this. He said right at the beginning, you know all this stuff, but I'm going to tell you again. Why? Because we're all vulnerable and we all have to be alert and on our guard. Listen closely to survivor Terry O'Shea about the people Jones attracted. Quote, they came from every walk of life, from the very well-educated to the totally uneducated. Some had lots of money, some were living off of Social Security, and some didn't even have that. It could have been you. It was me. Don't believe you can't be deceived. There's two calls of action I have for you today as I close. One is 
to everyone here today. Be alert and contend for the faith against false teachers. Know the truth, check every teacher, look at their fruit, and when you identify false teaching, avoid it and tell others about it. And yes, we should be careful about those things. This is not a willy-nilly kind of thing. We just run out and just, well, I heard something, and I'm just going to, you know. Yes, we should be very careful. We should be very measured. But we should be bold, and we should be courageous in this because all of our, uh, all of our lives and our families are dependent on us protecting one another in Christ together. And then second, I have a special... Uh, I guess, heart or, or, or feeling, I guess, if you want to call it that today, for those who have been deceived. And maybe you carry a burden of regret or shame from that. And the Lord wants you to know today that he doesn't put that on you. He wants you to lay that burden down. You don't have to carry that. You're human. We make mistakes. And God, in his mercy, as he tells us, in the Psalms that he pursues us with love and mercy all the days of our life. God's not going to let you go. He's going to keep coming after you. And if you've made a wrong turn, you can make the right turn, you know? And the gospel is here for all of us. If you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, or if you've never known him as Lord and Savior, then you have an opportunity today. You can receive that. You can receive Christ as Savior and Lord, the one who died for your sins, who has saved you, has set you free from the law of sin and death. You can receive that today. And if you are a believer and you have been deceived before, know that there is forgiveness in Christ. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you for this time together. And Lord, I thank you for the truth that is in your word. Lord, I thank you that you love us enough to give it to us. Lord, you tell us in your word that if we remain in your word, that we will know the truth, and the truth will not only set us free, but keep us free. And so, Father, I pray for peace and assurance, Lord, and clarity for all of us here today, Lord, as we study your word together in community, in a fellowship, in a body that is accountable to each other and to you. And we trust you, God, that you will make our path straight. We thank you, Lord, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.